What up, what up? Welcome into another edition of Green with Envy. As always, this is your boy Will We're checking in. How you doing? How you living? Joining me as he does each and every time. Best friend, co-host, coach of the podcast, one and only, Greg Manakis. What it do, my dude? Our faces are just so much happier after Celtics blow and victories. <laughs> like just like looking at it. So there are some days we come in and record, and I'm just like, oh man, bad Celtics loss, or like a, a bad Celtics win. It yeah. happens, and we come in, and we're just like, ah, got to knock out a pod. And today, it's like, yeah, we just smoked the Spurs by, like, a team record 44 yeah. points or 45 points. Let's just bang this out and get to the good stuff after the second half of this. Uh, yeah, this there, there's times where it's almost like an improv class, and it's like, all right, I got to, like, put my, my game face on. I need to focus. And it's almost as soon as we hit the live record button, start doing the what up, what up, what up. It's like, I got to force that. <laughs> got to force it. There's no forcing today. Today is a nice day. Today was a great day. Uh, today on this podcast. So that for those of y'all that are listening, some of y'all might have seen, we've already recorded the second half of this podcast. We had a little Sunday fun day with the three-man weave. So the second half of this podcast, you're going to hear, not even the second half, the majority of this podcast, you are going to hear myself, Greg, our guy Adam's in the mix here. We've got a really fun conversation talking about Rob Williams, talking about the week ahead and the standings predicament for the Celtics here as we look towards a showdown against the Milwaukee Bucks. And of course, as we do each and every Sunday slash Monday, Hit y'all with a vibe check, three-man weave edition. So that's coming up here in just a minute. But before we send y'all over to that, let's knock this out right now. Let's queue up a morning box score. Morning box score. As Greg mentioned, the Celtics destroy the San Antonio Spurs 137 to 93. We're not even going through the San Antonio Spurs box scores and their stat line. You don't want to it, talk about Romeo? <laughs> it's 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 just not worth it. Sorry, Adam. There, there will be no Romeo coverage in this morning box score. Only place to begin is a guy who played like a man amongst boys. It was straight child's play for Jalen Brown. 41 points on the night to go with 13 rebounds, three assists, 18 of 29 from the field. Derek White just doing Derek White things, 19 points, eight rebounds for him. You had 19, uh, excuse me, you had 13 points for Marcus Smart, who had a weird ejection that I, I still am not 100% sure what he said. It was the most tame Marcus Smart ejection I think I've seen in his time with the Celtics. Also, a 20 piece from Malcolm Brogdon off the bench. Rob Williams, who was going to be heavily featured the second half of this podcast, 11 points, eight rebounds off the bench. That is our main topic. But, Greg, I, I don't really have a ton to add to this. this. This had a very similar feel to the Indiana game where the, the Spurs, I think, scored 32 or 34 points in that first quarter. Uh, and then after that, struggled to score you know 60 points the rest of the way over the next three quarters. And so really the Celtics, you know, after that first quarter, this was just pretty much in cruise control from about middle of the second quarter on. And just a nice, fun Sunday victory for this team. Yeah, we needed it. I think the fact that we did this without Tatum that we're finding those games where we can breast Jason Tatum down the stretch to get him ready uh, to be fully healthy for the big matchups against the Bucks, against the Sixers, so on and so forth. And that you just give Jalen Brown the opportunity to cook like yeah. without Jason Tatum for a game. Jalen Brown was unfreaking believable in this game, dude. And the fact that he had 41 points, 13 rebounds, and he was two for 10 from three. Can you imagine if he had even had an average 
uh, three-point <laughs> night. Like, he would have had close to 50 in this game. Yeah. Uh, he was unbelievable, dude. I, I'm so happy to he see. like a fifth grader playing with second graders. Like, that's kind of the vibe yeah. I got. It was just like, I mean, you could tell he was like, shimmy here, shake here, little pull up here. I mean, it was just what, whatever he wanted to do. He could predetermine it, basically, and get to his spot, get to what he wanted. It, it was a very light, breezy 41 points for Jalen Brown. It was Billy Madison playing dodgeball in gym class. Yeah, that's a that's a great way to put it. That's kind of the image I have in my head as well. I'm thinking also of, you know, a, a father with their child on like a, a Fisher-Price hoop. That's basically kind of what we're getting here. Just hit them with a little bit of everything. Spurs just 100% outmatch. Celtics now on a three-game winning streak here and starting to look like themselves at the beginning of the season now. Let's also remember Kings great team horrible defense as our guy brendan nunez came on and and spoke about at length that they they try hard but they're not very good Mm -hmm. and then you also have wins here against the against the spurs and pacers not necessarily known for their defense uh so take it with a grain of salt but it is good to see these celtics back looking like the celtics and putting beat downs on people which was a staple of the run last year when the celtics really got going and we're just beating the shit out of teams and that's what we've seen here over these last three games so really positive signs for the celtics and anything else you want to add to this greg before we send it over to the three-man weave um i i think that just the only thing when i see the celtics able to flip the switch mid-game on the defensive end uh, it's just a beautiful thing to see. We we've seen that for years, even going back to the Brad Stevens era. Like there was always a moment where the Celtics, you could just tell they just locked in for like a two minute stretch, forced a bunch of turnovers. It happened the last three games. It happened tonight in that second quarter that you spoke of. And you can just see all of a sudden, and it's really starting with like Jalen Brown too. Like Jalen Brown on the defensive end, when you 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 can tell he's just like ball hawking, he's going for steals. Um, getting in passing lanes and everybody else with Rob Williams on the back line. We talk about this a little bit, uh, you know, with Adam that we recorded earlier. It's just so fun to see the Celtics be super aggressive and say, give me a lunch money. Yeah, just give give me that lunch money. Shout out to our guy, Adam Taylor. Uh, this is basically the third straight game the Celtics have held a team under 100 points. I know Sacramento creeped over, but this was after they had taken out all of their guys with about four and a half minutes left. Celtics had them under 100. So really impressive what the Celtics defense is doing. Uh, we're going to talk more about that here on the other side as we bring in the three-man weave real quick. Want to plug out, we do have a brand new episode of Coach's Corner that is available on our YouTube page, talking about the aforementioned Jalen Brown, but talking about him passing the ball. Do you want to give a quick plug for that, Greg, before we send it over to Three Man Weave? Uh, yeah, something that I did last year a little bit, but the coach's corner, um, I'm going to try and do one once a week where I'm going to pick one player on the Celtics or maybe just like a team environment and break down a play as I would uh, as a former high school coach. You know, I watched a lot of film in my life um, and I just like watching film. So it gives me an excuse to kind of get back in the film room. Uh, this one just goes into Jalen Brown's apex pass. Adam put me on to a great article that was written by Caitlin Cooper uh, with Tyrese Halliburton about the art of the jump pass and and how uh, Halliburton utilizes that to his advantage on the offensive end. And I hadn't read that article before, so it was really cool to go back and read that after you know I I had noticed this about Jalen early in the year and to see other people making uh, use of what I think is a really effective tool on the offensive end. Uh, Jalen Brown's I'm calling it the apex pass. Um, 
it's just really fun, fun thing to keep an eye on. I didn't see it out of Jalen tonight, but he's done. I know I was, I was, I was keeping an eye out for it. I was like, Oh, this is going to be so great. If we have a very specific clip, but uh, you have a lot of great clips in there. It's a really good watch. A couple minutes. I recommend you go to our YouTube page, check it out. But for now, we're going to send y'all over to the three man. weave. All right. What is going on? Everybody. We got the three-man weave in the building. It's Will Weir. It's Greg Manakis. It's Taylor Gang. Adam Taylor, the three-man weave back in full effect. What's poppin', fellas? Yo, what's good? Sunday fun day with the boys with the three-man weave. Excited. I like to think I'm the only one here not hungover, which makes me really happy. Where are you? I'm actually. I'm, no, 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 no. I didn't no. think Danielle. You were, yeah. yeah, Danielle uh, came back from her trip where she got COVID again. The last two times she oh, went shoot, for I didn't know that. Sorry, yeah. So she was she was away for an entire like ten days because she got COVID while she was gone for the weekend. So she came back. She's still like in semi quarantine right now. So I don't know if people that are listening right now, if you'll hear her occasionally coughing up a lung in the in the background, but that's happening. Yeah, we're doing <laughs> this live. We're- edit that we're gonna make sure you get all the phlegm coming through the audio (laughs) (laughs) you see for me it's like if will's hungover i'm like well greg's hungover too like i just assume you just assume you know we're one and the same that's that's how it's been for you know 30 plus years if it's if it's happening to one of us there's a good chance it's happening to both of us but just me on this one slightly hungover not too bad out celebrating a few friends birthdays last night went to the austin fc soccer game which i'll talk more about later just a little little tease right there uh but for this episode just to set us up real quick so at the front half of this pod you will have already heard greg and i recapping the spurs celtics game that is happening sunday night as greg mentioned Sunday Funday recording. We're recording this during the day here. Uh, but we wanted to get the three-man weave together. Green with Envy. This is how we do moving forward. The three-man weave. We move as one. We are a unit. And speaking of units, Robert Williams. Robert Williams is back in the lives of all Boston Celtics fans. Uh, if you're looking for some content, go over to Celtics blog. Our guy. Always got a shout out. Bill Sy, the Celtics guy. The Robert Williams effect. He has an article up on Celtics blog right now talking about the impact Robert Williams has had. He's been back for two games. Will have been three games by the time that you're hearing this. And something that we've touched on in past podcasts, but with Adam in the mix, I want I want to bring you in on this, Adam. This is something that, you know, pre, you know, pre-meeting, pre-production meeting here, we were trying to figure out what the best way to talk about this is. But since Robert Williams has come back, he's come off the bench. So here's kind of the question that I think we should we should start with and we can we can go whichever way we want from here. But is this the role that Robert Williams should be destined for for the rest of the season, coming off the bench? For the rest of the season, for sure. I mean, I've been quite vocal about having Al Horford as your five so he can space the floor, drag big men away from the paint, and then having four ball handlers around him, right? So you've got Tatum, Brown. My preference is smart and white when everybody's healthy. That's four decision makers, four guys that can score across all three levels, or at least two of the levels in like smarts case you want him around the rim or you want him into perimeter if marcus smart starts jacking up mid-range shots i'm going to lose my damn mind but outside of that i think that that makes the most sense rob's really good at bringing energy altering the way players look to attack the paint and if you can do that three minutes four minutes five minutes into the first and then start to incorporate him into the rotation giving al horford some additional rest going double big when you need to that makes more sense for me. I think at the moment, one of Rob's biggest issues is clearly health. He's played 30 games this season, 31 if he manages to play unscathed against San Antonio. 
that to me tells me that maybe they should operate with Rub the same way they've operated with Brogdon this year, where you're clearly capable of being a starter skill set wise, but for health reasons, for longevity of the season, for keeping you where we need you to be, a bench role just might be the best option for you. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's crazy to think about the Celtics depth right now, right? They have their eight man rotations pretty much set. The starting five with Rob coming off the bench along with Brogdon and Grant being that eighth man. We're probably plugging in Sam Hauser as the ninth man in a pinch or if you just need to switch things up with a, an extra shooter on the floor. But I think with Rob, you know, we have seven starters, as you just said, Adam. Malcolm Brogdon could be a starter in any other situation. Robert Williams has been a starter and should be a starter if he was healthy. So the Boston Celtics actually have about seven guys on the current roster that could be starters. So when you bring in Robert Williams and Malcolm Brogdon as the first two off the bench, you're really just having a new iteration of a starting five. That's not a bench lineup by any means. So I love the the versatility that having Rob come off the bench brings you. Um, having double big has not really worked this season, especially with last season starting five, just because I think it's a little bit clunky on the offensive end uh, with Smart as the point guard. I think you'll see a little bit more of Missoula experimenting with White um, at the point guard with that, with those other four guys, maybe a little Brogdon. We saw that a couple games ago where we saw double big lineups, but it really wasn't with smart on the court. So I don't expect the starting five to have the double big um, in most situations with a Giannis on the other end of the court and a Brooke Lopez. Maybe we'll see something different in that um, upcoming Bucks game. But I think for the most part, Rob Williams should come off the bench. I think you, you touched on a, a word that was jumping out to me as Adam was talking, and then you said the word I was thinking, versatility. I think that's the the most important piece of what Rob coming off the bench gives you. And to your point, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm pretty sure if you just replace Marcus Smart and Derek White, that five-man lineup actually does have some pretty good numbers right now with their offensive and defensive rating splits and what that net rating comes out to. And the other part with Rob that – it's a little bit more subjective, but I'm curious to get to get y'all's thoughts on it. Is and I feel like in the Indiana game, he's only played I think 15, 16 minutes in the Indiana game, but it felt like the fear was back a little bit. You know, his activity level was high, and it was a little bit of I don't know where Rob is coming from. And I think when you get into the playoffs, you know, this isn't this isn't for Giannis or Embiid. They're not scared of shit. They're th- that's not for them. It's for Pat Connaughton. It's for George Niang when they don't know where Rob Williams is coming from. And so, you know, those utility players that are there to aid those superstars, that's where I think Rob can play a really meaningful role, especially if he's only playing, you know, somewhere between 20 to 25 minutes, maybe coming off the bench, maybe even a little bit less, depending on the game, the matchup, what's needed. But he can almost play. You know, you have to always, you know, be concerned with the injuries. And like we said, I think we said this last time, he needs a he needs a landing coach, just like lethal shooters or shooting coach. He needs a landing coach because I get nervous every single time he goes up in the air and he comes down. But, you know, he can play with a little bit more reckless abandon. And that's, you know, to that versatility point, that's a new utilization that I don't think we've seen enough of this year. And I was excited for, you know, watching that Indiana game that we might be getting a little bit more of that Rob back where it's a, a little bit of controlled chaos into the game. Yeah, I think with Rob, not only is he striking fear in the heart of the opponent, but he's inspiring confidence. He's inspiring bravery with his own teammates. You know, the the ability for the Boston Celtics to understand that Robert Williams has their back playing that rover position on the back line of the defense uh, that Ime established last year. 
I think you'll see more, and Adam, you can speak to this a little bit more uh, with the article you just wrote, but it'll embolden our perimeter defenders to really get up and guard the ball and get into the jerseys of the other team because they know that Robert Williams is there on the back line. There's a huge difference between having Robert Williams on the back line than having Blake Griffin on the back line, who's a great positional defender, can take charges, but he's, I mean, he's basically like a six foot nine Kyle Lowry at this point. You know what I mean? Like all he can do is take charges. And with Robert Williams there to, like you saw in the last game, 16 minutes, eight rebounds, three steals, three blocks. And then those blocks were loud. He blocked one of them with basically his elbow. Um, I think he had another one where he blocked it two times um, on the same block. Like there's just things that Robert Williams does in the back line that nobody else on the team can do. And that's what I think uh, having Rob back in the lineup, whether it's starting or off the bench is going to bring to this team. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's more, it's, I'm kind of in complete agreement with you. If you listen to the way some of the the Celtics players spoke about Rob at the end of last season, where they're like, he's the insurance policy. He, You can gamble more on offense, or sorry, on defense when Rob's patrolling the back line. You can jump out at guys more. You can switch a bit heavier, knowing that if you get beat off the dribble or if you get beat from coming over a screen, that Rob's going to be there to mop things up for you. But I think what I like the most, what I liked the most against Indiana was the way Will put it, it was controlled chaos, right? Like there's a play where I think it's in the fourth quarter, you see Tyrese Halliburton go to fire a pass over the top of Rob and Rob's just like, no, I'm going to deflect it, snatch it out the end and I'm going to run the floor with it. In fact, I've got it here. Shall I play the play? I've actually got it ready. to. I've got it lined up. Yeah, go ahead. Get that to go. We saw last season what happened with Milwaukee in that last game of the year. Sitting all of their guys, not getting the number one seed. I don't think they're going to make that mistake again this season. First of all, I don't understand why you're trying to go over the top on Robert Williams. Most importantly, Rob's defending on the perimeter more. He's not being placed in the corner as much. I know that... um, I was talking to Keith Smith about this recently, and one of the reasons Keith gave was teams have got wise to that, so they're switching out. They're putting their weak shooter in the corner, and then they're kind of running a screening action and putting an actual legitimate shooter in the corner, and now Rob can't help off of them because it's a genuine kick-out threat rather than a, a poor a poor shooter. So Missoula seems to kind of like be looking at ways to counteract that by putting Rob on the perimeter and using his size to deter the three-point shot, force guys to drive in, at which point everyone's going to kind of collapse. But I just really like the way that Rob's been more active. That was arguably his best game of the season as well. I know there's only 30 of them to choose from, but <laughs> it was definitely one of his best games of the season. Overall, though, I just think coming off the bench, he's going to be able to give you a lot more impact because no one's going to be worried about the minutes, the wear and tear. And as disingenuous to other teams as this might be, he's going against a little bit of lesser talent. Yeah, and that's a huge advantage for the Celtics. And, you know, a little bit of a side note here. I was I was rewatching all of his blocks and steals uh, from that Indiana game. Uh, Rob Williams, after he gets the steal, whew, it's a bit of an adventure. You don't, you don't really know what's going to happen. It's it, it's it's great at the start, but it's a uh, yeah, it's it's a real gamble as to what's going to happen after he actually gets control of that basketball. I want to see like how Rob sees the court. Like I literally want to see it from his perspective because those when he gets a steal against a rebound, the ball is out of his hands faster than any guy in the in the league it's crazy i don't know if it's just like the first thing the first like glimpse of green that he gets he's just throwing it to that thing but um one one of the things i just want to touch on real quick with rob coming off the bench i think what this does allow is for the celtics to play the best guys 
right? If if Rob is coming, it, it is, if Rob is starting, then I think what's going to happen here, <laughs> as we mess around here with the with the layout, um, I think what's what's happening is that the big man rotation gets a little messed up because we're starting both of the the bigs in the starting lineup there. So like maybe you go to um, a Grant Williams too early in the game, or you know maybe Sam Hauser ends up on the court when when he really shouldn't be on the court. You know in in a in a big game, maybe Luke Cornett ends up on the court. I think if you split Rob and Al's minutes pretty much evenly down the middle, our best guys and our best playmakers are all of our guards, the Jays, Marcus Smart, Malcolm Brogdon, Derek White. So playing one big at a time allows for having our four best players on the court at all times. Yeah, I agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, who's going? Who's going? Uh, I like the idea of having multiple ball handlers. And I feel like I've kind of been swayed by this as well, just to sort of flex. I remember speaking with, and this is a very subtle flex. That's not so subtle at this point. Um, I remember speaking with George Carl about this about two years ago, and he was like, hey, the more wings and ball handlers you can have on the floor in the modern NBA, the more chance you've got of success. And when you've got a team like the Celtics that are just littered with guys that are pure decision makers, everyone can play in that 0.5 offense, or as you guys like, know I like to call it, that 0.5 offense. Um it just it makes everything so much more difficult to guard because so many players that can make decisions and create actions, just the unpredictability factor. Now I find I found throughout this season when they've ran double big, because Missoula's so much more pushed the pace on and put pace and space offensively than what Ime Udoka was, that double big lineup seems to be having negative effects. You know, like the spacing's felt a little bit forced, putting rubbed anywhere away from the rim is just allowing teams to sag off and double team elsewhere or dig or do whatever. Um, so I just feel like the best opportunity you've got is bringing them off the bench and then reevaluating how you want to approach your starting five during the off season. Maybe it's time for Al to take that bench role and Rob becomes your starting big man then. Or maybe Rob's best bet for the rest of his career is to come off the bench if it's going to prove to give him an actual career instead of just being really, really com- comfortable with whoever the doctors and surgeons are. Yeah, and you know, with these last two games, and like like we said, we're we're recording this before the Spurs games. You'll have Greg and I's thoughts at the front end of this podcast. You know, it's it, it's been two games after what was Adam and I went through this in our last podcast. It was a bit of an up and down road trip, which on the whole, four and two is still a pretty damn good road trip, but it didn't feel great at, at certain times. And so you look to the the Kings game, which we talked about, real strong momentum to build off. Pacers game and it feels like over those last two games that defensive identity which goes hand in hand with all of this Robert Williams discussion that we're having right now feels like it's coming back around and you know Adam you have an article up on Celtics blog right now which by the way fantastic title give me your lunch money a new Celtics mentality I think kind of speaks to that so could you just talk a little bit about the article that, that you got up right now yeah, so what happened was um, I wrote words and then I input clips and then people read it. No, jokes aside. Um, and that's just me being a douche. I do apologize. Um, <laughs> so mainly, for the most part, the, the article is based around steals. So over the last two games, the Celtics got nine steals against the Kings. They got 11 against the Pacers. That totals 20. That's just something for me that the student has become the teacher. If you go back last season, the season before, the Celtics have had problems in retaining possession in high-pressure situations. You look at how the Warriors kind of forced multiple fumbles down the stretch in the, in the NBA Finals as an example. And it just feels like the Celtics are kind of turning a corner there. If you look at the way they play defense against the Pacers, 
they were still doing very similar things. They were dropping, Al Horford was in drop, but they were sending their wings to kind of like hedge or kind of like pinch where they both come in from either side to take away the paint and then sprinting back out. Now, Rob wasn't on the floor for all of those moments, but what has happened is with having the ability to bring Rob off the bench, with having the luxury of having a Muscala or a Blake or whatever, you can play a little bit higher pace because when you guys get tired, there's enough depth there that you can sub out and not really have too much of a drop-off in talent, apart from obviously when Tatum or Brown go to the bench. Um, that was pretty much the, the the crux of the article. It was just about how they really pressured ball handlers. They forced bad decisions and they won their 50-50 balls. They were dive, they're diving on the floor. They were sprinting to a, wherever the ball was rolling out to. It was just a, a high-energy performance and it was the closest we've seen to last season's Celtics on defense all year. In my opinion, it was one of the most uh, coherent defensive performances where everybody was playing their role, but they were also going that one step further. And it just makes a load of sense with the way Missoula um, wants them to play to have this type of defensive mentality where, yeah, we're going to have someone in drop, but we're going to send one or two over to the post and we're going to pinch in at that post as well. So you're not going to want to try and drive the gap and you're not going to want to try and attack the drop in big because it means you've got to get through two guys that are quite long with good wingspan. So you're going to kick it out, then we're going to rotate and we're going to force you to F up pretty much. Yeah, one thing. Remember, Adam, you can swear now, so you, you could say... Oh, they're going to force you to fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, one thing I noticed in that Kings game, you know, obviously that was coming off of the Celtics, one of the worst losses of the season against the Jazz, even though we were down both of our big men. Um, I Grant Williams, you know, his his ability to play his role in that Kings game, I think that was the game where he had that big play where he dove on the floor to yeah. grab that loose ball. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there have been a few more of those types of plays by the Celtics since that Jazz game, where maybe we can call that the nadir of the season, however you want to say that nadir. Is that, like the Knicks, is that like the Knicks game last year? Yeah, exactly, exactly, right? There was that galvanizing moment where everyone just had to kind of look at themselves and be like, are these really games we're losing just because we're, quite frankly, being lazy? You know, they, they got lazy on that road trip and they recommitted to just being focused for 48 minutes the last few games. And there are plenty of quotes from players talking about how they committed to a full 48 effort. And that's the thing that we need to see out of this team. It doesn't matter if you're playing the Spurs as they are later today or if you're playing the Bucks as they are later this week. They need to be locked in and start building those habits. You know, we talked about this with Joe Missoula. He needs to be locked in as a coach and building his habits as a coach. I think he's been much better um, of late calling his timeouts and, you know, trying to be a little bit more intentional with his rotations. And I think that's what the entire team just has to focus over these last eight or nine games, however many are left in the season. It's all about developing habits or, you know, rediscovering the habits that they began the season with. Now, where is that team? Is it back for good? Are we going to see that for the last eight games of the season going into the playoffs? So with that, let's let's actually take a look. Because like you said, there is not counting the – well, counting the Spurs game, there's eight games. By the time that game's done, we're down to seven. I don't know how the fuck we got here, but there's two weeks left in the regular season. I it, it doesn't when we were doing our pre uh, our pre production meeting I was kind of looking through the schedule and it just didn't seem to make sense to me that by this time you know next week we're 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 in the final stretch of the season we're in the final literal the final week of the season and so with that let's take a look at what the Celtics have coming up last night Celtics got a pretty big gift 
Nuggets took down the Bucks. A game that the Celtics really, really need a little bit of the Bucks to do some damage to themselves, aside from obviously just playing the Celtics basketball that we're describing now. And you can see if you're watching us here on YouTube, you can see obviously playing the Spurs, then the Wizards, and then there's that big showdown Milwaukee with a Utah back-to-back at home uh, on the back end of that. And so as we look to the week ahead right now, the Celtics are two games back of the Bucks and the Sixers, who have a really tough schedule the rest of the way, they now have a two-game cushion on that two seed. So they two games behind the Bucks, two games ahead of the 76ers. Looking at the week ahead here, Adam, let's let, let's start with you. And, and feel free to take this, you know, not just Celtics related. You can look at it kind of league-wide because we're scoreboard watching at this point. This is all about, you know, holistically, who are the Celtics? What's the Celtics' path like we talked about? to get back to the Eastern Conference Finals and eventually the NBA Finals, uh, as well as, you know, trying to jockey for position with Milwaukee. So what are you kind of looking for this week, either Celtics-wise or or from a league-wide perspective? Yeah, I'd like to believe that the Celtics can regain that first slot. If you're looking at the standings right now, Celtics finish second. They're probably going to face the the It's tight there. Yeah, you know, if it, if it was to finish today, I'm I'm taking Miami over Atlanta and Miami. Um, so I'd like to say the Celtics at least tie up with the Bucks. Maybe Milwaukee drop another game and then they face Boston and Boston be able to beat them. Otherwise than that, I'd like to just keep Philadelphia at arm's length. I, I'd prefer to finish in the top two just because there's some home court seed in there that comes into play further down the line. Um, other than that, like I'm kind of chill. Like, I'd like Miami to move into that sixth seed, personally. So then that's a Philly problem. Uh, other, and then that would make me very happy, actually. Other <laughs> than that, like I, I'm pretty cool. I, I'd like, uh, as far as I'm concerned, if you can go, if you can beat San Antonio, if you can beat Washington, whatever happens against Milwaukee happens. Beat Utah, then that's a three-on-one week, and that's a successful week for me when you're facing, arguably, your biggest rival in the entire Eastern Conference. Would I like Celtics to beat them? Yeah. Are they going to? We'll find out. Yeah, we got a big gift last night because the Bucks lost and the Sixers lost. And the 76ers are now in a two-game losing streak. James Harden has been out the last couple of games. I don't know how much longer he's going to be out for. But if, for the Sixers to catch us at this point, it's 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 a long shot, to be honest. They're two games back with eight games to play. Um, so I, I would imagine the Celtics end up with that two seed. Obviously, I'd love the, the one seed as well. Um, we didn't get a gift though on the other side of things last night because the Nets actually destroyed the Heat in the second half. I think they outscored them by like 25 points or something in the third quarter of last night's game after the Heat uh, were up early in that one. So, you know, whether the Celtics end up against the Nets, the Heat, or the Hawks, because that's pretty much what it seems like it's going to come down to. As we said, we're not worried about any of those teams. We're not going to lose to any of those teams. It's just the uh, the idea of the attrition that might occur because of the matchup that we end up in, right? If we're going up against the Nets, that's probably a five-game series. Same thing with the Hawks. The Heat, we probably beat them in six or seven. Uh, probably, I would imagine six, though, because the Heat aren't that good this year. But with the Bucks game coming up on Thursday... You know, I was watching that Nuggets Bucks game last night, and one of the things that stood out to me is just the amount that the Bucks kind of need Giannis to do everything. You know, I, I don't know that might mm-hmm. seem obvious. Like Giannis obviously is one of the best players in the league, but like Chris Middleton, I know there's been some talk about him being back and the Bucks are 24 and 4 since he came back, but he doesn't look like the same guy. And this is something, Will, you and I touched on briefly, is that in the past matchups with the Bucks, uh last season, notwithstanding, because Middleton missed it. Milton arguably was the third best player 
in that series. You know, Giannis number one, Tatum number two, and then it comes down to who's next, right? And I think Chris Middleton could have made that argument that he was the third best player. I feel like Jalen Brown has surpassed him at this point, you know, especially with the way Middleton has played, um, just his athleticism on the offensive end and defensive end. That's something that Middleton used to take pride in was how uh, versatile he was on the defensive end and how versatile he was in that pick and roll action with Giannis. I don't really see that out of Middleton this year. So if Jalen now becomes the third best player, uh, maybe Drew is the fourth best player. Middleton is the fifth or sixth best player. Like Mm -hmm. if the Celtics have two of the top three in that series, I feel pretty good um, about how we match up with the Bucs. So if Middleton's not who Middleton was, I think the Bucs are in trouble for a matchup against us. Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up because I was also thinking about this this morning uh, with Chris Middleton because, you know, on the season right now in his 29 games he's played, you know, the record's great, but it's 15 points. It's 4.2 rebounds, five assists. Those are fine, but he's shooting 43% from the field and 32% from three. Those aren't Chris Middleton numbers. And on top of it, the eye test backs that up, that it's not the same Chris Middleton. And it made me think a little bit, you know, because he's obviously dealt with multiple injuries before the season, throughout the season. You know, it's kind of been flaring up on him. But it makes me think a little bit like Clay Thompson last year, right, where the the Warriors playoff run kind of hinged on are we going to get enough from Clay Thompson and I kind of feel like we're getting the same thing with Chris Middleton right now because I think that is the big linchpin to what's going to happen with the Bucks because otherwise there's as great as Giannis is which cannot be understated uh, or overstated enough like if there's that much on his plate that Chris Middleton can't come in in over a seven game series, especially against a team, you know, like the Celtics or if the Sixers are at full strength that, that have equal or, you know, just about the same level of talent, like that's going to end up, you know, playing a massive role. And to your point, Greg, I think it's hard not to say that, you know, Jalen Brown has certainly passed Chris Middleton, this version of Chris Middleton that we're seeing this year. And that could be a factor that I think helped propel the Celtics in a seven game series is the fact that now you might be looking at this as well, Celtics have two out of the three best players in this series. They don't have the best, but they've got two and three right there. And so that, that could be a massive difference. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the matchup this week. Cause I think it's going to be a big time playoff atmosphere. And I think it's going to be a really good test to see, you know, how he, it's like two prize fighters kind of eyeing each other down and see what strategies each one is kind of coming up with or what they want to reveal right now, knowing that there's probably an even bigger fight coming down the road. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think w- w- the first thing I want to see in that Bucks matchup is does Missoula make an adjustment to the starting lineup to match up with their double bigs or does he try and play Brooke Lopez off the court, right? Because the way that the Bucks play defense, Brooke Lopez is in that deep drop. Um, they they try and funnel everybody towards Brooke Lopez so that they have two these two seven-foot behemoths um, on the back line with Giannis and Lopez that are just protecting everything at the rim. And if the Celtics can exploit them in the mid-range or get them into rotations, um, force Lopez to guard a little bit more out on the perimeter or take advantage of that deep drop by having Horford um, hit the three-pointer. You know, I think we can very quickly get them out of that double big lineup, which in my opinion is their most effective defensive lineup. Then they have to go Giannis at the five with Bobby Portis out there. You know, Jay Crowder hasn't played too much this season, but maybe there's a lineup in which Jay Crowder plays small ball five. There's a bunch of different options that the the Bucks have now, but I think the first thing I want to see is what do the Celtics do to get them out of their preferred five? 
And I, I think the Celtics will be able to do that if we trust our guns and go for smalls with Al at the center and then have Rob come off the bench and play double big as needed. Maybe you start the second half with, with the double big lineup. Um, but one thing, and, and I know we've talked about this, I don't want to make a big deal out of, about it, but like there might be a time in which against a certain matchup, Derek White needs to be either in the starting lineup as the point guard or starting the second half as the point guard with Smart coming off the bench. Um, that's just something to consider. I wonder if Missoula would ever go to that. I doubt it. Adam, any thoughts on that? Do you think Missoula would ever be so bold as to play the Celtics' third best player um, as the third best player? Missoula scares me, so I'm going to say yes. Um, <laughs> I think that, first of all, I want to touch on that big man thing. So one of the things that you guys pointed out after the Sacramento game was that Missoula went to an eight-man rotation, right? And we saw something very similar against Indiana. I would definitely not be too surprised if when they play Milwaukee later this week, we see Missoula go a bit deeper, maybe to 10, maybe to 11, and just to throw bodies, throw different looks at Giannis, right? Regardless of whether they go double big or single big, I'd expect maybe we see a little bit of Blake Griffin in there. Maybe we see some uh, additional Grant Williams minutes. Maybe they throw in Mike Muscala, Luke Cornett, whoever it may be. I'd expect to see that big man rotation look more like a carousel. So we can, so just it's data gathering, right? It's finding out who does well against Embiid, who can get in front of him and take that, take the banging, like the body blows. I'm about to sound like Charles Barkley then. Um, who can, <laughs> who, who works out building a wall well? Like there's a lot of different data points that he might want to just get some final looks at. So that would be a game where I'd expect the rotation to expand. With that being said, using Boston's third best player as their third best player, well, that seems too logical for me to assume <laughs> what a, that it's going to concept. Yeah, like it's too logical, right? Like, no, no, no. I don't think that happens at any point between now and the end of the regular season. Yeah, I think this is going to be a uh, a big regular season test for Joe Missoula this upcoming week. Uh, and we'll have more for y'all later this week. We're going to have some preview pods. We've got a, we just had our whole pre-production meeting. we got a lot of content coming out this week. So make sure you're hitting us or following along with us across all of our social medias. But for this episode, now it's time to do what Greg and I, typically it's just Greg and I, but now we got the three-man weave. So we got we to gotta indoctrinate our guy Adam Taylor into our weekly segment called Vibe Check. Okay, so was you going to tell me to go? I was going to tell you to go. So you, yeah. you look at that. We, we on the same. We we already connecting like that, Adam. We don't got it. We don't got. I'm going to say anything. I just got to shoot you a look, and you know to roll. You know to pop. We got that connection going right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, man. It's not like we. I mean, we've have we podcasted together before? It feels that so. way. I Maybe so. we did it once with legs too. That was fun. That was that was brilliant. Podcasting <laughs> with legs. I was. Uh, that was one of my favorite quotes of the entire trip. Uh, so my vibe check this week is. A TV show called Empire, a very old school TV show. I think it started in like 2016, 2017. Uh, my wife had it on one day and I was like, you know, when you're just grumpy, like, I don't know what I want to watch. The, there's a bunch of stuff, but I've seen it all before. And then my wife, I've come downstairs, like, because I've been searching on like Netflix and stuff in my office. I've come downstairs, my wife's watching this uh, Empire. I'm like, I ain't really feeling this. It's episode three at this point. She's like, no, let me start it from the beginning. 
So she started it from the beginning. Um, that was about 10 days ago, 12 days ago, the six seasons. Uh, quite a few episodes each season and out of each episode. I'm all, I'm going to be wrapping up season four by Monday. Uh, <laughs> if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend you do. If you have seen it, I highly recommend you go back and watch it again. That so I, I, I love just the idea of having a spouse who's down to start a show from the beginning, even though they've seen like a couple seasons of it. If they're just like, I'll, yeah, I'll go back with you. I'll watch it from the beginning with you. I think that's a, uh, just a sign of a very healthy relationship. So <laughs> shout out Zoe. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, it takes a lot to be able to, to be able to commit to that or it's that good of a show. Cause there are shows where, you know, I'd be like, ah, yeah, you watch on your own time, you know, but there are some shows where it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to do a rewatch of this. And it sounds like y'all found that with empire. Yeah. It's dope, dude. I mean, she's just started watching yesterday, the last of us and like, um, oh, let's go. Full disclosure, I tried to play the computer game, The Last of Us, and like uh, the very opening like the very opening thing, his daughter dies, right? And yeah. I remember being like, oh, I'm a girl dad. I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to play this game no more. And I boycotted <laughs> the game simply because of that opening scene. So when uh, when I came in yesterday and she's watching uh, Last of Us, I'm like, well, I boycotted the game. I'm I'm a little bit of a I don't I'm I'm I don't want to cross the picket line to watch the TV show, right? But according to her, I'm going to have to become a scab and cross that picket line because apparently it's really, really good. I will say, Adam, I think it's it's one of the better TV shows. I've watched too much TV since 2020, so I can't even keep track of you know w- what's been good and what's not been good. But this is definitely this is one of the shows that is definitively you know over the last three three plus years or so where things are just blended together that sticks out above the rest. Like there's been stuff where I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that was good. I can't tell you much about it. That show freaking rocks. So I highly recommend that you get on board with The Last of Us. She's going to have to wait till Empire finishes. <laughs> All right, Greg, let's, uh, let's go over to you. What's your vibe check this week? So I don't know if Adam actually watches uh, the NCAA tournament, but I am vibing with my guy, Marquise Noel. Although they got, uh, they got eliminated from I the tournament down last night. By the mighty guess. Florida Atlantic Owls, I want to say. Sounds right. Some yeah, sort of bird. Right. Yeah. Yeah, some the Florida Atlantic insert bird here. Yeah, um, Noel was unreal, dude. I didn't watch much college basketball because really at this point, I only have time for the tournament. So um, I tuned in for the tournament this year. And the first time I watched that dude play, he was electric. I don't know if he has any NBA future in him. Kind of reminds me of a little bit Tremont Waters type uh, player where he might get that's one contract. Guy. I love that's, that's your boy. You cannot <laughs> let it, it's Tremont Waters for you, Romeo Langford for Adam. You guys are just connected forever with those two. Exactly, exactly. I think Marquise Noel, he's five foot eight. I don't know if you saw any of him, Adam. Five foot eight, but has one of the craziest floor visions I've ever seen of any point guard, especially of a guy that size. He had 18 or 19 assists in one of the 19 games against 19 against uh Little Hauser in Michigan State. Yeah, against Lavazza. I think at one point during the game last night, he had like 47, scored or assisted on 47 of the 56 points up up at like a certain point in the game. This guy was everything. And it was so upsetting that he didn't make it to the Final Four because he was one of the big reasons why I was enjoying watching the tournament. But dude, I loved watching Marquise Noel. Shout out to you, my guy. I hope you get drafted. Yeah, I only caught the Michigan State game, but uh, this guy was electric. Like that game was intense and, you know, so have you guys seen the clip going around? And I want to get your thoughts. 
about was it a play call or was it not a play call on that alley-oop? I don't know if it was in overtime or at the end of the second half where he's arguing with his coach back and forth about the play call and then midway through them arguing, throws an alley-oop to a guy who cuts baseline, reverse jams it. And this is, I'm talking, I think it was at the end of the second half uh, or, or it was overtime. It was like a minute left. Like this yeah. is not a time to be messing around. It's pretty team. much the game-winning bucket. Yeah, it was the game-winning bucket. He threw, he throws the oop from the logo. All like it was, an, it was just insane. To Catch watch. it, reverse jam. Like so, you know the play I'm talking about, Greg. Do yeah. you think that was an actual play call? Okay, so when I played at Boston Latin School, we had a very similar play that we used to do, and it was just Christian is confused. Shout out to my guy Christian Anuha. <laughs> so <laughs> I would take the ball out of bounds, and we'd be yelling at Christian to get into get into um in position. Christian was like one of two guys on our team that could dunk, and he. He looked like this on the court and he, he couldn't see very well. So he was always squinting anyway. So we would just like call this play Christian's confused. And he'd literally look around like this and the coach would be yelling at him. And then he'd get a back screen. And I'd throw him an alley-oop. It worked like three times. Um, so we've run a play very similar to that in, in my past basketball experience. I couldn't tell though. But the fact that I know that these types of plays exist, it's like, well, the Rob Flynn, where's the ball? You know, is, I was about to bring baseball. this up. Yeah, go ahead, uh, go ahead, go ahead. So, so Adam, Greg and I had a guy, Rob Flynn, who we grew up with. And um, I know you don't know a ton about baseball, but I do know you've been you've been picking up bits and pieces here. Bits and, there. and pieces, yeah. Yeah. So so he was the catcher for like our little league team, and he'd always have this play where he would pretend like when the ball got pitched that it got by him. And so he'd turn around behind him and he'd kind of like freak out. And so he'd get the <laughs> runner to think, oh, it's the, the ball's like at the backstop, time for me to take off. And then he'd turn around and throw him out. I think it worked like twice, but the theatrics that went with it will last a lifetime because it's just ingrained <laughs> in my memory of, uh, Dude, of him like, doing this. He came up with this when we were like nine years old. <laughs> and he did it all the way until we were playing um, like in the senior league or whatever, like on the, on the Babe Ruth diamond. And I still remember uh, this. He wasn't doing his trick, but a guy did try to steal. This is when we were older. We're probably like 15 years old at this point. And we're not, and, and we're not, he, I don't think he played baseball at the same level like Greg and I did like in high school and stuff like that. So this was like kind of like a more uh, like community level team. And a guy was trying to steal third. I'm playing third base. Greg's backing me up because he's the shortstop. And this guy, Rob, yells out as, in the middle of the play, where do you think you're going? And then proceeds to throw the ball. So there's 90 feet between home plate and third base to where he needs to throw this ball. I think he threw it 40 feet. <laughs> he threw it 40 feet. It bounced over my head. And then Greg caught it on one knee laughing in the ground. <laughs> and it was such a perfect moment. It was just, I don't know, that was great. <laughs> it was the accent you just did then. Where did you think y'all going? Um, I haven't seen the clip, so I cannot confirm nor deny whether I believe it's a play call. I'm going to go with play call because that just makes me believe there's magic still in the world. Kind of like, do you remember the movie Angels Angels on the Outfield? It could happen. Yeah, yeah. do you remember that movie? Of course. Of course. And there was a, or like, so yeah, I'm going to go with Angels in the Outfield. Yes, it was a play call. Magic still exists. Adam, yeah. another great, uh, just like play call wrinkle that Flutter Atlantic does is when they do inbounds plays and end of game situations, they go like full American football formation where they have the one guy serving as the quarterback and they have the other four guys lined up on the baseline and they have all of them just run full speed straight lines just verticals just verticals and then there's just one guy that cuts underneath and like a slant route so they get him the ball and they create all this space and they avoid trapping i've never seen it before and i thought it was genius <laughs> i need to watch these guys play man this sounds like i'd have such a good time 
Yeah, March March Madness is fun, man. Like Greg, I, I don't have as much time to really watch uh college basketball. It's too much, man. It's like it's every ten much. seconds there's a game. Yeah, it's it, it's a lot to follow. There's you know so many college, so many teams across the country, but March Madness still I think the best sports tournament in the at least in the U.S. Because I think the World Cup probably takes the cake. Yeah, the World Cup sucks because that's soccer, so that sucks. <laughs> well, that's actually a great transition. This brings me to my vibe check of the week. So I mentioned, I think at the beginning of this, I went to the Austin FC MLS game last night. Uh, which, by the way, Adam, I'm gonna have to send you this picture later. Our guy Greg actually spends his uh, free weekends moonlighting as one of the lead supporters in the cheering crowd. I got to send you. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna send out this picture uh when we when we send out this podcast but there's a guy who leads the supporting section for austin fc leading all the chance who is to a t just greg but 150 pounds and it is a spot-on replica like his mannerisms everything about this guy lines up and i think greg are you pulling up the picture right now oh i am all right let's, 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 see this. let's get this on the screen here see if i don't know if we might need to zoom in a little bit here see if we can get that pulled <laughs> that's, up <laughs> that's i'm gonna know he's now known as i be for greg this is austin fc greg right here and so my vibe check of the week is that we need more supporter sections like we have at the austin fc game and so adam i wanted to ask you i know you might have more insight on this than i do with english soccer league teams I mean, I know it's just more intense with the, the hooligans and they have all these different chants, but do they have, when you go to a game, a specific section that is like designated just for like super passionate fans that lead these chants? Or is that just the whole the whole arena is doing that because it's kind of ingrained in, in the system? Okay, so I honestly couldn't tell you yes or no because I've never been to a game. Like, um, Yeah, I just figured you might have more insights. Yeah, I, I so know. from what I'm aware, it's everybody. So you have a family section where obviously – Things are a little bit more chill, a little bit more calm. Very, if violence happens in that section, you've just been unfortunate, right? Mm-hmm. The rest of it is you've got your away section, your home section. The rest of it is just wild people. So the chants yeah. are everywhere. It can start from anywhere. Usually there's a, a bit more of a vibe going around by the season tickets because um, those guys are like your diehards. Yeah. A lot of the season ticket holders travel to away and home games all year round. Um, so you'll see a lot of people like this, um, like I be for Greg here, uh, everywhere <laughs> in um, in a soccer stadium. Yeah, so, generally, it's like what you probably experienced at Austin FC is probably like um, a good replica on a smaller scale of what you'd experience yes. at an English soccer stadium. And this is my vibe because we need more of this in basketball arenas, in baseball stadiums, in football stadiums. We need that crowd, that section that is designed just to go nuts, to be leading the chance, to be bringing the energy, the momentum. When you know it, it, you'd have to figure out what it is, but when a goal scored, let's throw that beer in the air, let's throw that water in the air, let's get nuts, let's get weird, let's do it. We don't have that enough in American sports. We need that for when the second half of a game, the Celtics are coming down. You have this massive green supporter section that is going nuts. We need more of that, and it's a very cheap ticket. It's 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 not necessarily family friendly because it gets it gets pretty lit, it gets pretty loose in there. Although there are kids in there who are just you know, hey, if, if if you're with it, you're with it, you know. But know that that's like what you're getting into. And I I don't know. I just I really enjoy the atmosphere of it because I don't know what the hell's going on. I don't, I don't follow soccer. I barely know what's going on. So I'm just there for the straight vibes. And it's such a great time. And I think it needs to be brought into other sports here in the states. Yeah, I, uh, I agree, dude. Go ahead, Adam. No, I was just gonna say the soccer kind of experience like you know that type of mentality all through europe is 
something that all of the diehards kind of point to, right? Like I know people that are like, yeah, I love soccer, well, football here. I love football, but I can never watch it at home. I can either watch it in the pub with a bunch of other crazy nut jobs, or I need to be in the stadium with 20, 30, 50, 60, 70,000 nut jobs. But I know a bunch of people that are like, yeah, I love football, but I can't watch it on TV because there's no nutters around me and it, 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 I need the atmosphere to feed on. I've been to a few NBA games now. I've been to a few other sports around England, like, you know, ice hockey, whatever. And uh, it's it honestly doesn't compare to what you like you hear and see on TV from like soccer stadiums. I would love for a a basketball team to try this out, yeah. right? There's got to be some small market team that needs to increase their their in game attendance, just like some sort of gimmick. Why not try this out? I think it's a great idea, Will. I don't think it could ever happen at TD Garden, uh, just because there's so much. Uh, just kind of there's like a history to to the way that the crowd interacts with the game that we've talked about. I mean, I would love to see it happen. I just don't mm-hmm. think it's realistic for it to happen. Yeah. But like for the Charlotte Hornets or the Oklahoma City Thunder, like we've I think been the to Thunder the Thunder with the first team because you and I went to exactly. uh, the playoff. It was the, it was the last Kevin Durant game uh, yeah. for the Oklahoma City Thunder or one of the last ones when they went up. The last win he ever had with Oklahoma City Thunder, actually, we were there for. They went up 3-1 on the Warriors in that game. And they, I mean, they do the college thing where they stand up until there's until some until the home team scores. So mm-hmm. I think that was the f- perfect example of a team that you just build out a section behind the basket, and you know you start building your traditions. Like you said, it's a little bit. It's going to be tougher to do with a team like the Knicks, the Lakers, the Celtics that have a little bit more built up. But the Thunder, or if the NBA starts to expand, which is looking you know pretty likely here to go to Vegas or back to Seattle. I think those are the perfect opportunities to try stuff like this. The only thing I'd say is that NBA players have got quite a reputation for returning to fans, whatever kind of abuse is sent their way, and rightly so. Mm-hmm. But like, um, as an English guy, there's some of the soccer chants are downright sickening, man. Yeah, and, some uh, of them get a little aggressive. At least yeah. uh, from my experience with Austin FC, it doesn't quite reach that level. Uh, but I, I do know what uh, that it, you know in certain English soccer games, it's. It almost gets a little too personal sometimes. So I'm not I'm not advocating for for those type of chants, but I do think that the atmosphere can be brought to another level with yeah, get the like drums, that. the vuvuzela. Yeah, exactly. The and then we, the I mean, and we already we yeah. already got Greg. We got him on loan from Austin FC, so we yeah. can just get him out there. I'll be for Greg, man. I love him. <laughs> well, dude, you know what's so funny is I've had some people that like look at me around town like they recognize me and sometimes i like to think it's from black sheep optimus now i'm just wondering if it's just this guy if <laughs> yeah. they just think that i'm this guy and they're like oh yeah i know this dude from we, somewhere we, like maybe that guy from Austin FC games. yeah we joked last night that you could actually go as this guy for halloween and it's going to be very niche but it's going to be one of those like niche <sighs> halloween costumes that everyone's looking at you like okay you're just an austin fc super fan whatever but like the two times that someone's like your supporter section, Greg, and you're yeah. going to be like, nailed it. and it's going to be this amazing <laughs> feeling that you just, that you just made this person's day. This, the only thing is this guy's like 120 soaking wet. Yeah. You I know, said 150 he, being generous. Yeah. He's so <laughs> skinny. He's so skinny, but yeah, I do look a lot like him. Yeah. It is. Uh, we were with a bunch of our friends last night who uh, we were looking for this guy. He wasn't out there in the first half. And uh, me and Lorraine and my girlfriend were like, ah, damn, Greg's not here tonight. That would have been, would have been cool to see him. He came in the second half. We were like, oh, my God, it's him. It's a celebrity. <laughs> and then we pointed him out to some of our friends who didn't know about uh, about this side of Greg's life. And uh, they couldn't take their eyes off. And it's like even his mannerisms feel like Greg. Like this is just Greg's this is Greg's double agent life right now. I got to go. <laughs> I got to go meet this dude. 
Yeah, you've got and be like, bro, you look like me. And he'll be like, bro, you look like yeah. me. You'll be like, we're twins. I know. We're gonna we're gonna have to arrange a meeting. We'll bring him on the podcast here. Um, but that's gonna do it for this vibe check this week. That's gonna do it for this episode of Green with Envy. Our guy Adam has some dinner waiting for him, so we're gonna let him get out of here. Uh, but we'll be back this week with a lot of content across multiple platforms. So make sure that y'all are checking in with myself, Adam, Greg. But for this episode, Greg, let us know what we're going to hear on the way out. Uh, just real quick, I'm going to be releasing uh, a new video on our YouTube channel. I'm going to um, reimagine the coaches corner that, that we started doing a few years back. So be uh, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to check out that video. I'm going to be breaking down Jalen Brown's what I'm teaming, uh, deeming the Apex Pass. Uh, so check that out. And with that, we're going to hear some music from my band down here in Austin, Texas. We are Black Sheep Optimist, and this one is called Skywalk. Peace, everybody. Peace, y'all. Bye-bye. I wish it that I never seen the stars in your eyes A glimpse of what I'm missing, think it is a mirage Ooh, you got me tripping and it's hard to describe But I stick for a minute cause I'm digging the vibe I like the way you're looking at the look in my eyes Don't be casual feelings when it's only a vibe Don't know what the deal is, I'm a typical guy You know the one thing different is the state of your mind I'm like, oh my, my, someone throw me a rope I'm getting too damn high, didn't know I could float You could call it a vibe, it's probably all that you wrote But I'd be doing this shit finally if I didn't have hope Cause you know that that embodied that's what go with the flow I can sing a different song If I cannot hit the notes You had me taking off When you took off your clothes It should be coming down by now But I won't Let's go.